Hello and welcome to the Renovation Church Podcast, where our vision is to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and change the world. My name is Mason Smith, and I'm the creative director here at Renovation Church. We are so thankful that you're joining this podcast today. We hope that today's message inspires you and draws you closer in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, enjoy the message. you here with us today. What an incredible day. Can we just celebrate those who gave their lives to Jesus and celebrated believers' baptism? Let's celebrate them again, man. So incredible, so incredible. So glad that you're with us today. We are starting a brand new Christmas series called The Gift, and this series is going to happen this Sunday and then uh, the next couple, and then actually the series is going to wrap up on Christmas Eve, so you're going to want to make sure that you join us for Christmas Eve, and like Chelsea was mentioning, we're having registrations this year because we don't want to have to turn anyone away, so register you and your family, and then when those fill up, we can always add more services, but we just want to make sure that you know that you've got a seat available for you when you and your family show up for Christmas Eve. I love, I love Christmas. Christmas is my favorite time of the year, but I love it so much. I probably love it more than you because my birthday is the day after Christmas. That's how much I love Christmas Eve. I love it. I love Christmas. In our home, we have certain traditions, some things that we always do that just help it feel like Christmas. I'm sure all of you have some traditions as well. Now, first thing we always do when it comes that day to set up for Christmas is we make homemade hot chocolate and have that on the stove with marshmallows and chocolate and all just all the fixings for it. The second thing we always have to have when we set up for Christmas is Bing Crosby, who is the king of Christmas, the greatest Christmas singer ever. We always have some Bing Crosby playing that just really set the mood and make it feel like Christmas. And then finally, it's time to set up and decorate our tree. And it just wouldn't be Christmas if daddy didn't make one of the kids cry because I have a meltdown every year that we set up the Christmas tree for some reason. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It just really sets the Christmas spirit in our home. And I'm sure that you've got your own traditions as well, things that you do that just make it feel like Christmas. That's part of the fun of it. But believe it or not, most people actually, when it comes to the Christmas story, a lot of people, a lot of Christians base their beliefs on Christmas songs rather than what the Bible actually says. And I hate to tell you, but some of the Christmas songs that we sing really aren't very biblically accurate. It's a really bad place to get your theology from. Let me give you a couple of examples of things that Christmas songs says that the Bible never says. Uh, Away in a manger, anybody love that song? One person. Okay, I'm gonna ruin this song just for you. He's the only one. All right, so how does this go? Uh, Sing sing it with me, because we're singing Christmas carols today. The cattle are loving. You guys are, come on, let's try that again. I'm sure the church online people are doing better. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus no. It's not true at all. In fact, if you have a baby and it doesn't cry, you need to be panicked and concerned. And the Bible never says that Jesus didn't actually cry. It never says that anywhere. Uh, Another song, in fact, we always sing this song to conclude our Christmas Eve service, Silent Night. I'm sure some of you guys like that one as well. Silent Night. Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is 
Christ. Stop right there. Let me assure you that if you are pregnant like Mary and riding on a donkey for days to finally go give birth in a cave surrounded by animals, it is not all calm and bright. And all the ladies said, Amen. That would be a, a horrible way to give birth. In fact, I even I did a little research into that song, and I looked up the German version of the song, which is written by Franz Gruber, who I think is the bad guy in the greatest Christmas movie, Die Hard. And he had a lyric, and, and the lyric that he wrote was, Holder nab im lakenjen har. Isn't German beautiful? It's very poetic. Holder nab im lakenjen har, which translates to baby boy in curly hair. Again, uh, uh, it sounds nice. Any kind of hair sounds nice to me, but never says that anywhere in the Bible. Good songs, but really bad theology. So what we want to do is we want to take a look in this series at three of the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus, and we want to learn about the significance and meaning they had back then, and also the significance and meaning they have to us today as well. The Christmas story, as most of us know it, isn't really the whole Christmas story. Tradition can be a really, really good thing, but tradition can also add in a lot of details that really weren't true. For example, tradition tells us that the wise men were kings, just like the song says, we three kings of Orient are. But these three men that came to see Jesus, they weren't kings. They were more like advisors to kings. They were what's called magi, which meant that they were astrologers and astronomers who studied the stars. And they likely came from an area near Babylon, which was in the east, which would have been about 750 to 1,000 miles away from where Jesus was born. Now, Another translation uh, or another tradition says that Jesus was a baby when the wise men came. In fact, if you have a nativity set anywhere in your house, chances are you've got a very beautiful stable that looks actually very cozy and comforting. Jesus is laying in a very plush manger filled with the, you know, soft hay. And around Jesus, you've got Mary and Joseph and some animals and you've got the three kings that they have in everyone. But uh, if it were to be in reality, when you get home today, you're going to want to take those three magi, those three kings, and you're going to want to take them all the way across your house and put them somewhere else because they really weren't close to Jesus at all in the time that he was born. Because remember, they were a thousand miles away. Now, a thousand mile journey in those days would take over a year to accomplish. So these guys were not there on the night that Jesus was born. But when they start, saw the star, that's when they set out on their journey. Tradition also says that there were three wise men who came, but the Bible never even says that either. There were three gifts that were recorded that they brought to Jesus. So what people have done is they said, well, three gifts must have come from three different people, but more likely these guys, these wise men, these magi would have come with a huge entourage of soldiers and chariots and horses and supplies because of this year-long journey from their kingdoms. Now, also, these men, because they weren't from this area, they would have been Gentiles. Gentiles, that means that they believed in God. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the scriptures. They knew the prophecies. But they also had a lot of mystical types of belief that were mixed in with their theology, which is why they studied astronomy and astrology and what was happening in the stars. But for some reason, God chose to speak through these men about the birth of his son. He didn't speak directly to the Jewish people that would have been right there, but he spoke to these men who were from far away that were getting ready to make this incredible journey to meet the newborn king. There are a lot of things that we assume 
about Christmas and we assume about the Bible. But if we assume the wrong things, we can actually be misled. See, most people at Christmas time, we want a version of the Christmas story that is merry and bright and calm and peaceful. But in our own pursuit of that, we can actually miss the greatest significance in the true meaning of Christmas. And the true Christmas story as it happened is way more beautiful than anything that we could ever come up with ourselves. So with that, let's look at Matthew chapter two and let's discover what the coming of the wise men was really like. If you don't have your Bibles with you, we're gonna have it up on screen for you to follow along. It says in Matthew chapter two, verse one, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. So they made this long, long, year-long journey and they finally arrived in Jerusalem and they started asking people in the city, hey, where is this newborn king? Where's the, where's the one that, that has been born that's gonna save everybody? We saw his star, we followed it here and we just we wanna worship him. They assumed that since Jesus was the prophesied king of the Jews, that the Jews would know all about this, that there, it would have made all the headlines, that there would have been celebrations and, and parades and everything going on, but no one seemed to know what these guys were talking about. So let's go back to verse three. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time that the star first appeared. So then he told them, go to the Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Then after this interview, the wise men went on their way and the star that they'd seen in the east guided them all the way to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We don't really know a lot about the wise men beyond what Matthew wrote here in his record of what happened in Matthew chapter two. Uh, a lot of the things that we know about them are taken from history and, and different guesses or assumptions we have based on who they were. The fact that Matthew tells us so little about them really shows us that these guys aren't truly the, the main part of this story. The, the focus of this story in this chapter is the gifts that they brought to Jesus. And the three gifts that they brought were gold, frankincense and myrrh. These gifts might seem really strange to you. you. In fact, you probably, you're like, I know what gold is, but maybe you have no idea what frankincense and myrrh are. That's what we're gonna talk about in the upcoming weeks. But the gifts that they brought weren't just random, strange gifts. The gifts that they brought had a lot of significance behind them. Each gift was given representing uh, a specific meaning for who they believed this baby was and what they believed that this baby would do. 
So when they gave gold, they gave him gold because that was representing royalty. They believed that Jesus was born to be a king. When they gave Jesus frankincense, they believed that that meant that, that in the deity of Jesus. They believed that Jesus was born to be a priest. And when they gave myrrh, that was symbolizing his humanity because they believed that ultimately Jesus was born to be a sacrifice. So let's talk about the first gift that they brought. Let's talk about the gift of gold. Gold has always been a hugely valuable commodity, but they didn't just give Jesus gold to bless him with a lot of money, which would have been a blessing as well, but the gold that they gave had a deeper meaning behind it. By getting gold, it was symbolizing that they believed that Jesus was born to be a king. It represented Jesus' royalty. The prophecy said that a king would be born over the Jews, which was a huge problem for the current king, King Herod. Now, Herod was the Roman-appointed king of the Jews. Rome sent him there to rule over the Jewish people. So when he heard the news that a king had been born that would be king over the Jewish people, he didn't want a threat to his throne. In fact, Herod was, an, he was already extremely paranoid because he had other people try to overthrow his throne. So let's go back and read verses 1 and 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men came from eastern lands, arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. People have been waiting for thousands of years for, uh, for the savior of the world, the Messiah to come. But nobody, when they came, knew anything about it because everybody was expecting that when the savior, the Messiah, the Christ was born, that they would know about it. They believed that he would come like you would expect any other king to come. In fact, the Jewish people still today are still waiting on the Messiah to come. They don't believe that it was Jesus. So they're still waiting on this king to be born and to set up his kingdom here on earth. But we know that that king was Jesus. Jesus didn't quite come like everybody was expecting that he would come. Number one, Jesus didn't look like a king. There are certain expectations that you have about people based on what they do that you can assume what they're going to look like. For example, you would expect a professional athlete or a bodybuilder to be in shape and to look fit. They, they would look the part of what they're doing. But Jesus didn't look like anyone expected a king to look. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a cave surrounded by a bunch of animals. He didn't come from wealth. He spent his life working as a carpenter. There was nothing about Jesus that would make you stop and look at him and think, now there's a king. That guy looks like a king. Because a king is known by his appearance, but there was nothing about Jesus that would even make us give him a second glance. In fact, if Jesus were here in this room today, most people would just kind of pass him by because there was really nothing special about the way that he looked. He didn't look like a king. He didn't look like anybody of significance. No one seemed to know what to expect that the Messiah would look like because they were expecting a regular king. But a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53 said that there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. There was nothing to attract us to him. While appearance is what we tend to focus on and what we tend to be impressed by, God has never been concerned or impressed with the outward appearance God has always been more concerned on what is going on inside than what you're putting off on the outside. He's always been more concerned with the matters of the heart rather than what we're putting off to everybody. So when Jesus came, he didn't look like anyone expected a king to look. 
but he still was the world, king that the world had been waiting for. He also didn't act like a king. Jesus didn't act like a king very much because when you really stop and think about it, a king is someone who is who's served by others because of their position and their power and their authority. But just like Jesus didn't look like a regular king, he didn't act like a regular king either. Although he was worthy of it, instead of going around his whole life being served, he spent his life serving others. That was the very reason that he was born and that's why we celebrate Christmas today because Jesus was born to spend his life And ultimately, he would give that life in service to others. Jesus himself said in Matthew 20, verse 8, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. All throughout the Gospels, all throughout the ministry and the life of Jesus, he always seemed to do the opposite of what everybody expected him to do. Jesus, he spent time with, And he invested in, and he touched lepers in his day, which is like the ancient equivalent of a COVID quarantine victim, right? If you've been in quarantine, you're like, man, no one wants to talk to me. No one wants to touch me. No one wants to be around me. And and it gets pretty lonely if you've been through that. Well, that's kind of what lepers were like. They, and a lot of times they were put outside of the city, away from everybody else. No one wanted anything to do with them. But Jesus would go up to them, talk with them, and touch them, and heal them. He made the less than feel like they were worth more than the world would ever make them feel. Jesus spent time talking to people like prostitutes who weren't even allowed anywhere near the temple because of how they were viewed by everyone else in their society and in their culture. Jesus befriended and spent his life with fishermen and tax collectors and other sinners. Instead of seeking out and surrounding himself with the popular and with the rich, Jesus loved and surrounded himself with the people that other people rejected. Jesus spent the majority of his time with the people that the world said you have no worth, you have no value, your life has no meaning, your life will never have any significance. Those are the people that Jesus always found himself around, spending time with and investing. The people that no one else wanted anything to do with were the very people that Jesus came and he spent his time with. Think about Jesus. He came down, he lived 33 years, three years in public ministry. Most of the time that we see Jesus, he is not around what we would consider to be the best of the best. Instead, he is around the people who need him the most. He's around those who are lost. He's around those who are hopeless. He is around those who are without worth and value. Those are the kind of people that Jesus came for. Those are the people that he is still for today. He didn't look like a king. And Jesus, he definitely didn't act like a king. And he also, he didn't die like a king either. No one expected the Savior to be born in a manger. No one expected the Christ to be the son of a carpenter. And no one expected the king to be crucified as a criminal. And although he was a king, he stood trial for crimes that he did not commit. He died a death that he didn't deserve to die. He was Beaten, whipped, mocked, bruised, bloodied, and spit on. He was stripped naked and he was hung on a cross as an example to others of what not to do, of who not to be. No one expected the prophesied king, the savior of the world, to die, much less to die like this because death by crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst that society had to offer. If you were really, really, really bad, then you would get crucified because they wanted to set an example of your life. 
So even his disciples, the ones who were closest to him, who saw everything that he had done and heard everything that he had said, even they thought that it was over. He wasn't born like a king. He didn't die like a king and he wasn't even buried like a king. In fact, the tomb that he had, that he was buried in, it wasn't even his. He was just gonna borrow it for just a few days. So although he might not have looked like a king or acted like a king or died like a king, I can promise you that when he comes back, he will come back as a king. And when he does, that will be the day that the entire world and every person in it will recognize who Jesus really is. See, Paul wrote and he said, for at just the right time, the Christ will be revealed from heaven. But the blessed and almighty God, the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. See, the Greek word for Christ literally means anointed one or king. Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the king. And on that day, when he returns, the world will know that the king has come because the earth will shake and the ground will quake and the sky will rumble and the dead will rise and the enemy will finally and forever fall once and for all because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has come once again, just like he promised that he would. And on that day, when the trumpets sound from heaven, the angels will sing and it will fill the entire earth as they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And on that day, when Jesus the Christ comes back, here's what will happen. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Father. Come on, stand up this morning. That is our King. King Jesus who left his place in heaven to come down to this earth. The Christmas story is so much better than anything you could have ever hoped for or imagined because our hope is a person. Our hope has a name and his name is Jesus, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. So come on, let's celebrate this morning because Jesus is Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church Podcast. If you'd like to support Renovation and our ministries, then head over to renovatethecity.com slash give. It's because of your faithful and consistent generosity that we're able to continue ministries like this all across the world. If you'd like to learn more about Renovation and our ministries, then head over to renovatethecity.com. If you enjoyed today's message, then we'd encourage you to share it with family and friends. Thank you again for joining us and God bless.